and welcome to Bring Your Own Brain Conversation. I am excited today to be joined by two incredible uh, uh, owls and, a, and an, a man who loves owls and super excited today to bring you this excellent episode. I just lost my opening script. <laughs> Where did it go? I just lost your guys' bio. Why? Well, this is perfect because today we're talking about mental health and my mental health right now is going like this because I just lost my intro for Dale and Sandy and it was very well written, darn it. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Here it is. I found it. I've gotten it together again. Um, nope, I have not, but I have Sandy's, I think. So I'm going to introduce Sandy. Sandy was already on uh, as a guest. She's an incredible owl who uh, has journey a long way to where she is now, living a peacefully centered life but she did not always have one. Diagnosed with clinical depression as a teenager, she suffered from panic attacks and anxiety and was later diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Despite all the labels, tears, and struggling for decades, Sandy never lost hope. Hope that one day her hectic life would level out, her troubled mind would find peace, and her broken heart would finally find comfort. And Sandy has accomplished that. At, at age of 54, Sandy is recovered, is what I like to say. Um, and I don't have my script for Dale. I'm so sorry, Dale, but my favorite thing that I've written about Dale is, um, Dale is a schizophrenic and at the age of 16 had these grandiose idea that he was smarter than Harry Kiss Henry Kissinger. And he probably was maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Dale, at the age of 20, uh, was in his first year at Dartmouth was institutionalized uh, for having delusions. And Dale has been on his road to recovery ever since. It's been 27 years since Dale's last episode. And Dale is, uh, loves to say that recovery is always an option. So welcome, guys. I'm so sorry I botched that entire thing. Um, that's probably how I feel, like our brains feel when um, we're, our mental illness takes over. Uh, for myself, I have been um, on Lexapro before. I have battled depression. I absolutely have had those same delusions that Dale talked about when I had a, a slight mental breakdown for about six weeks when I got divorced and sold my business. Uh, what I love about millennials, I'm an elder millennial, is that we are talking about mental health. We are not afraid to have those conversations because we are no longer pretending that nobody else does and that it's a reality we all face. So thank you for bravely joining me today to have this conversation. I'm glad you brought that up about being a millennial and that these days mental health is something we can talk about because in the youth, the younger years that Dale and I were having struggles, it was not something it was okay to talk about. Yeah, I did not feel comfortable talking about what happened to me so much that I didn't really share it with very many people. And when it was happening, I, I say the elder millennial oh. because I feel felt very pulled towards that older generation of we don't talk about this. And Lexapro didn't feel like an option for me or something that could potentially help me recover. What it meant was that there was something wrong with me. And so it even took me that long to get a therapist, which I think for our younger millennials, we're much more uh, inclined to get the help 
So um, start us off. You, I lost the agenda. I lost this amazing screen. Um, I lost our agenda today. Um, but you guys met before. To ha so I'm going to let you guide our conversation until I can get myself back together. You said it perfectly with the, uh, the stigma. It, it's still really hard to acknowledge within ourselves that we are facing a problem with our mental health. There's, there's a word called uh, agnosognosia, which was used by Dr. Xavier Amador in his book, I Am Not Sick and I Don't Need Help, which is a very helpful guide to like schizophrenia and dealing with mental health and how to approach you know, a, a loved one who, who's suffering. But it's uh, basically agnosognosia, I can't even say it, but it, it means lack of insight. And that, that's a big problem because not only is a stigma that's, that's uh, created by, by being, quote, mentally ill, I, call, I, I prefer to call it psychic affect instead of mental illness because mental illness is so negative. But uh, anyway, it's like lack of insight into your illness so that you, it's not denial, it's just like you don't realize that something's wrong. Yeah, I resonate with this not realizing something's wrong. And I like to use the word mental health and I call today's episode mental health because um, for people that are not diagnosed to say like schizophrenia or bipolar, we all will have some type of battle with our brains and it's kind of how they're designed. We, we use our amygdala to survive our childhood and then our teenage years, we start activating our prefrontal cortex and um, we still have those voices and those uh, running in the background. We still have our default system of what has gotten us to survive for so long. Um, so Sandy, on your road to recovery, I know that neuroscience and understanding your brain has been really powerful. Um, in addition to over-the-counter, not over-the-counter, but prescription medicine, um, do you want to share a little bit about your journey and how you have um, discovered a peace of mind after 54 years of just relying on prescription drugs? Sure. Well, uh, through the many, many years, I have been to lots of therapists and been on various medications because it does take years to sometimes find the correct medications. So I still take medication and go to therapy. However, once I found neuroscience, like five years ago, I finally had peace of mind because as I understood my brain, I had confidence that no matter what was going on, I could always get back to a center of peace of mind, always. Sometimes quickly, sometimes it would take a little longer. But understanding brain chemicals, uh, the interaction between, say, the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, and uh, just knowing that awareness that that's what's going on when I have a panic attack, for instance, um, it helps me realize that um, well, okay, when you have a panic attack, it can kind of escalate itself. There's a lot of fear going on. Uh, it just 
a domino effect. And, but when you're aware of what's going on in your brain, you can calm that. You just understand the mechanics of it. You understand the emotions of it. And you know that it's temporary. Mm. The same with lots of other things that go on with bipolar. The peace of mind that comes from understanding neuroscience is what has, uh, how do you say that? I just, um, it, it is that coming back, I guess. Yeah, I, I hear a lot of empowerment. I don't know what word quite you're searching for, but I hear feeling empowered to know that you're in control and not this disease or this that's, illness or whatever people want to call it. That's it. You nailed it. <laughs> and that is why I think for me, when I had my delusions and um, and for my delusions, like I went to a few places, dairy, I'm allergic to dairy. So my delusions uh, in this small town was that the answer to my problems, the secret code was at ice cream stores. Um, so what I, when I realized, um, like I had moments where I was lucid and then I lost it and moments where I was lucid. And it was in those moments where I started to be able to take control back of my thoughts and no one had told me there was something wrong with my brain because no one knew I did those things. I didn't tell anyone. Um, and as I started to get control back over my brain, I realized like you can create whatever reality you want. I kind of started to realize that part of me was allowing myself to create that because my reality was shit. <laughs> Um, and so Dale, I'm curious for you when you've, cause you've had several episodes of delusions. Um, how do you get that control and of your brain? Well, I, I think a very good point that you just made is about lucidity, you know, and how you, you have like moments of your lucidity and then you fall back into your delusions and stuff. But basically I, I feel that the idea of lucidity is, if you can just like find a little bit and, and you can expand on that. And that, that's basically what would happen when I would go to the hospital with an episode. You know, it's like I, I, my, my, my whole brain would reset in the course of my hospitalization. And that lucidity that you talked about would become greater and greater. Mm. Yeah. How have you guys found that labels have helped you and have hurt you? I can say that at first the label was an aha moment and it made me feel that it knowing what's wrong with you at first. Mm -hmm. Then then you know your other people have dealt with it. You're not alone. It's aha. And then it can become a trap, though, because you become a victim in it, to it. And you're stuck, in a way, until you can reach beyond the label and look for more. So, and, and Dale's been excellent at describing that. Well, I, from, from my own personal experience, my doctor never told me my 
diagnosis until I actually applied for disability and he was writing, he was reading me what, what he had written and he said paranoid schizophrenia, but for like the first seven years of my interaction with him, he just said I suffered from quote psychotic bliss. So uh, <laughs> I think my dad might suffer from that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, how, how did that change your perspective um, when he used that word schizophrenia? Well, as Sandy just said, it was an aha moment. But on the other hand, this is something that I, I, I'm like fascinated by. I call it the broken brain syndrome. And when I was first hospitalized, my doctor told me, if you came, if you broke your leg, you would like come to the hospital, right, Dale? And say, right, and he'd say, well, you broke your brain. And in the time when I first got affected, that that was like the medical model that was like predominant among all doctors and professionals is that you've got a broken brain, but the the the, the negative of that was that unlike a broken leg. You can't, they felt you couldn't recast, you, they couldn't reset your brain. So consequently, a lot of professionals said, you know, once you get this diagnosis, you're going to have it for life, which I, I understand, but it's all that there was like the implication that you'll never be able to rise out of it. And it was my own like determination and my refusal to give in that actually led me to be able to say that recovery is always an option. Hmm. Yeah, I, that is probably the hardest thing I have with mental health, it, the industry of mental health, is that um, the diagnoses like bipolar, for example, like all you got to do is say to someone, oh, you know, I married a bipolar and they're like, oh God, your mom must be so hard or oh, I married a schizophrenic. Like we don't realize these we're still creative and resourceful. In fact, we're more creative and resourceful in some ways because by the time we've graduated high school, we have made it in your system <laughs> with your brains, but with a different brain. And that, that is something that I would love to push against and to push back for people is this, because as Sandy, you mentioned this victim of saying, well, this is how I am. <laughs> I, I think of that even in like personality um, testing, like the Enneagram, uh, if you're familiar, there's the different numbers you can be. Uh, and the, the creator of this says, well, the idea isn't that you identify and you're like, yep, that's me. And so this is why the idea is that it gives you insight and that you can actually be in these other personalities. So to quote unquote, the gifts of these other things. So the awareness piece is so important. When I got, when my therapist is like, you're depressed and you need medication, it was comforting to know, I guess, that, okay, I'm not crazy. Like I'm having anxiety, I'm having depression. And the minute I took that five milligrams of Lexapro, well, the first five minutes, five days, I had more paranoia because there's that adjusting. Um, but I knew, Sandy, like you talked about when you just are aware, okay, I'm having some paranoia and it's, I'm going to let this kind of go, this anxiety. Um, all of a sudden, it allowed me to see things differently. And like you guys, I wanted to recover. Like I didn't think that 
And I, I am pro medicine, whatever you need. But for me, I realized I didn't have this diagnosis forever. My therapist kind of treated me as if you've probably had this forever. Um, but I, I realized my environment was exasperating things. Um, so when I changed my entire environment, I didn't find I still needed the Lexapro. I, what I do probably need though, because I do have a different brain, some ADD medicine. <laughs> I think a lot of times what happens to people that where we are not, um, we're never diagnosed properly with the ADD or ADHD. Like my brain is different. My brain also functions differently than yours. Um, but it's not an illness. I, um, we're all very high IQ in this room. It's very clear from what we've all overcome. Well, one of the few doctors that I follow on the internet is a doctor named Dr. William Pettit, who's a retired psychiatrist. And I don't know if you know anything about the three principles, but that, that's like a whole different subject. But he's a follower of what's known as the three principles. And he, ha he has two quotes that came to my mind when you were just talking. The first is, uh, diagnosis is not where is where you are, not who you are. Mm. And then the other one is that all, all mental illness is caused by chronic mental stress. So I, 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 I sort of like adopted those philosophies. And when one of my, one of my, uh, you know, basic building stones is if you can reduce the amount of mental stress that someone's going through, then that naturally helps to make him better. And the best way to do that is to reduce your own stress, which is why I do families instead of patients. I love that. Sandy, do you want to share a little bit on your thoughts on, uh, I love the diagnosis is where you are, not who you are. I'm going to use that a lot. Uh, what was the name of that person again, the author? Uh, Dr. William Pettit. Uh, his, uh, actually, his, his website is very, very informative because he goes to almost every mental illness there is and talks about it. And he was a psychiatrist for 45 years, and now he's retired. But, you know, if, uh, if you want to, it's uh, www.doctorspettit.com if you want to. Yeah. Look them up. So. Thank you. Sandy, what are, what are your uh, thoughts on this? Right. Well, the accessing the awareness, the peace of mind is, uh, well, the mental stress. So peace of mind is the essential key to having that awareness in the first place. So um, it, it's a balance between uh your environment, creating a less stressful environment in your relationships, and also what's going on in your own brain to uh, be able to find that place of peace of mind that helps soothe any of the uh, uh, emotional uh, turmoil. Or for instance, with uh, bipolar, that sometimes you get compulsive or uh, into habitual, let's say gambling or shopping and or going all out. But um, yes, that awareness 
uh, slowing down, just mm. the brakes and uh, the understanding it takes to recognize when a symptom is kind of flaring and knowing that you can slow it down, take the time out, and then redirect it and be more healthy, make better choices and decisions. The slowing down is so important. And for me, meditation was like, I can't still my brain for five seconds. You want me to go to a meditation class? Like, forget you. And anyone that's listening right now that's like, yeah, that's me. That's a sign that you, your brain doesn't want to slow down and that also you can really benefit from learning how to slow down. Um, I have a phrase on my whiteboard to judge is to constantly evaluate. And that's what I feel like for um, brain sometimes when we're under that co- constant mental stress that you talked about, Dale, is that we're constantly evaluating. And for me, the reason I, when I meditated, like I was going through in my mind, like I'm like, I I can go to your class, but I'm going to think of other things. When you gain the awareness that, wow, I should be able to control what my brain does and my thoughts. Like I'm the leader, I'm in charge. Um, And then you get that ability to do so. It's incredible what clarity comes to you by thinking about nothing. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that they can't meditate, but it's a practice of meditating. And so it's something you get better at. And the brain doesn't really shut down. It's the control, like you said, you get. Because at first, um, you have to just bring your thoughts back. That's what meditation is. Your brain doesn't totally go blank and, and into... land when you meditate. And I think there's some misconceptions about meditation. Absolutely. I love that you said that you can bring it like back. So when you're meditating and you're practicing and you have these other thoughts to be able to bring yourself back to your body, to be able to bring yourself back to your breath and, and to your, what you're feeling and sensing in that moment to choose to hear a sound or to choose to focus on something you're like, that's the power of choice that you start to learn in meditation. And that to me speaks to what Dale said about the diagnosis is not where you are or is where you are. It's not who you are. When you start to become aware of your brain and, and where it's at, you can just, you start to realize that you can be whoever it is that you want to be in full expression. Well, this gets back to my broken brain syndrome and how when, when, when I first got, got ill, the, the, the medical model was, you know, the brain stops growing at 15 and therefore there's nothing that you can do to like change the brain to get better from mental, from mental health, for, for your mental health. But uh, obviously Sandy can talk about this a lot more than I can, but the idea the, the growth of like the education and the knowledge of the brain is like grown so exponentially in the last like 20 years with neuroplasticity and the, the continuing growth of the brain and always creating new neural pathways and stuff. It's, it's like the broken brain syndrome is now like a myth or an outdated concept, even though 
even though the initial illness might be caused by a chemical imbalance in your brain, which is why you take the medication, but that doesn't mean that the brain can't fix itself. Yep, exactly. And um, I think the statistics are one in four Americans will have mental illness at some point. And that it, it can be something that you just have temporarily and travel through. And some people struggle with it much longer for a lifetime. Yeah. But like Dale um, said, it's the quality of life. It, we're not stuck. We're very fortunate that the brain can uh, bring us back to health. Yeah, it's a really unique design that our brain has that allows us to actually uh, heal ourselves, to change our thoughts, to, to redirect. I'd love to talk a little bit about back to the environment that I had mentioned and the workplace. One in four Americans, I think you said, is, uh, will have some type of mental health issue. And I like to call it mental health because um, we, we talk about that stress. And Dale, you like to use the word effect, which I also like, just not illness. Um, and mental stress a lot of times happens in the workplace. And when it's not happening in the workplace, it happens at home and it will impact your abilities in the workplace. Uh, what has been your experience with your environments of work? Because I know I've had, I mean, I've had three careers. I'm on my fourth. So I've had some interesting like awarenesses about my mental health and what envir work environments will work for me. Well, my, basically the stress that I've gone through is uh, academic stress. I, I mean, I, I, I had like a very high powered education in Dartmouth College and everything. And with, with, with my use of drugs, with, with, I don't know if you want to go into that, but I, I, I was using a lot of drugs at Dartmouth, and I was like I, I was like a A A minus student in upper upper level courses as a freshman. So I but also I had like my own like self motivation and my own self driven desire to be excellent and to be the best student I could be, and that that pressure I put on myself was like very instrumental in like pushing me over the edge, I, I feel. And I wasn't even aware of it at the time, you know, I would just like do, do my work and, but most of the time I was partying, you know, so, so, but uh, I, I can't really talk about workplace stress because I've never really like been in a workplace, you know, I, I'm a, I remember when my tutoring, I, I would get stressed out over my tutoring business, but you know, I, I, I would always be able to handle it, so. Yeah, what about you, Sandy? Well, I've had various challenges through my career. And uh, for instance, one is, and people don't, that's where self-awareness is important, uh, the noise, just the surroundings. If you're in a cubicle or, um, there's some people have very sensitive ears and they can't separate the sounds very well and they're not necessarily aware of it. And I stumbled upon it that there are filters you can put in your ears where it 
you can hear sounds that's maybe three feet from you, but you don't hear the sounds that are 20 feet from you. And even there's more uh, almost like earplugs that uh, help you focus, block out sound. And that's required sometimes to be able to uh, calm your nerves and be able to bring your brain to your work. Mm, bring your brain to your work. I love that. <laughs> We're going to bring your brain to a conversation right now. Um, I can say I definitely had times where it was hard for me to bring my brain to work. And the environments that we create um, as leaders sometimes are not conducive to people that are struggling with mental health. And we can better support people. Right now we're in a pandemic. So when I think about mental health and mental stress, the entire world is experiencing stress and some people in much more challenging ways than others, particularly women right now that are trying to raise the kid and do the job or maybe had to leave the job to raise the kids. Uh, where do you see a, an opportunity for leaders to support mental health? And what, you know, is there something that would have been helpful for you and your work experience that to, to be able to bring your brain to work? I believe in being, having flex time or hours, like not have everybody report at eight o'clock, but have the flexibility to come in between six and nine or something. Um, I love that. I think flexibility to come in is like one of the first ones I think about <laughs> because when I am struggling to bring my brain to work, that means I'm struggling to bring my fucking keys to work. I'm struggling to get my computer to work. Um, I, and I, I think about some very specific times. If I ever tell you that I've lost my keys multiple times, like I have a hook where they go. Actually, my new door doesn't require keys, so I'm, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But that's a sign that I'm overwhelmed and overworked and I, I could use support. It's not a sign that this chick's a hot mess, which was the label I gave myself when it was happening. Because you feel like you're a mess. How is it possible that I drop my keys down an elevator shaft right before a big meeting? And I was a supervisor for a while. So my staff, I would tell them, okay, you have you're responsible for getting a certain amount of work done. And some of the things I know you don't do so often or you're just learning. So go research it on your own. But if you get stuck for more than say 15 minutes on something, ask. Don't continue spinning your wheels and getting upset. After 15 minutes, ask for someone, your peers or come to your supervisor. That's another really great one because when you're struggling to bring your brain to work, your brain will figure something out in 15 minutes. And if not, you maybe have a bigger problem or need some, some help. Your creative and resourceful self could have solved that. So I love that as yeah. a, and a permission. Why waste, why waste the time? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what people I don't think realize when you're struggling um, under mental stress is what actually neurologically is happening in the brain. Sandy, you could probably talk a little bit about that, but our stressed out brains, um, our amygdalas are really lighting up. Um, our hippocampus starts to shrink a little bit when we're, our brains are under stress. Uh, so our short-term memory starts to suffer. 
and our ability to retain information starts to, mm -hmm. to wane. Or even recall information you already know. Yes. <laughs> you connect or bring that out. It, when your brain is spinning, your thoughts can be spinning, and how can you access when you're stressed? Yeah. You know you know it. And when you're, yes, and when you're that employer, if you don't hold that person or that leader, I should say, if you don't hold that person as creative and resourceful, if you look at that person like, why are you a fucking moron that can't remember this thing? Um, then that's where the environment becomes really even more difficult, right? And here you have right. someone who is above average intelligence, damn it, because they've made it this far. Um, you, you know, you brought them on this team for a reason or into this position for a reason. So that I love that permission to ask after 15 minutes so that yes. you feel safe to like not, you know, to not be the moron in the room that mm -hmm. can't quite retain information. And that alone creates less stress, which then allows that person's mental health to recover. Right. It's just knowing that the permission. Yeah. Just, it, it does relieve stress overall. Um, not even that they would ever use that. They might never need the fifth, I don't know, to come ask yeah. questions. Just the permission that, hey, they can helps them not be as stressed. So yeah. they're more productive. They, they have the resourcefulness and it's working rather than, because uh, the stress builds up in your body, it builds up in your brain, uh, it builds up over a day, over a week. It, it doesn't dissipate. You have to relieve stress in some way. I and do love that you mentioned the body because I owned a CrossFit gym. And so a lot of the, the best hour of the day was what we wanted the gym to be for people, was that place to move and relieve that stress. When I uh, was teaching on the South side and had stressful days, which was a lot, I would get a giant Coke and a giant fry at McDonald's on my way back home. Uh, I started going to the gym and I found that I didn't complain about work and bring it home. I didn't bring stress home because my body was literally sweating it out. Um, but I, but for me, the gym was a community. So if I was complaining about work, you know, I could do it at the gym so that my body was getting it out. My, my brain and my mouth were getting it out. Uh, has, has exercise or any other outlets for you been helpful to deal with stress? Well, I just wanted to say that, uh, I, I think it's important. We, we've been focusing on the brain primarily, but the, 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 the fact is that stress affects the whole body. I, I mean, slide or fright or freeze and cortisol and all those, like all those chemicals that your body produces and stress, which were evolutionarily go back to be fear of a tiger to saber to tiger eating you. But in the modern world, I just wanted to say that, you know, the, the brain might, might initiate the chemicals in your body, but the chemicals themselves have like their own effect. Uh, and then the, uh, your body metabolizes them, but when you hit with stress over and over again, it's harder for your body to metabolize all the constant barrage of uh, hormones and chem brain chemicals. And so the exercise helps. It's one of the uh, best coping mechanisms. 
Well, I, it I, is. I, and it's, it's hard to explain that to people because we think of exercise, I think, as like, well, I have to lose weight. It's going to be uncomfortable and I'm not going to like it. But from, an, from the brain perspective, you are stimulating um, the hippocampus where new brain cells get to grow. And uh, from your body's perspective, also, Dale, I know you work out every day, right? No, I don't. I, I just do my 60 push-ups every that day. That is your working out. I love that you want to downplay that. No, I just do 60 push-ups. There's a lot of people listening here who don't do six push-ups a day. So you absolutely do work out. Well, I, 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 did, I, I was part of a gym for about two years, and then I tore my calf muscle. And so I couldn't, I couldn't do it for about a month. And then when my calf healed, I, uh, my, my knees started bothering me. So I, I just like stopped going to the gym, but I still do 60 push-ups a day. And as I, as I was about to say, I walk an awful lot cause I don't have a car. Yes. Walking is great as well. Um, I'm, what I missed the most about pre pandemic was my commute that involved a three mile walk. So, uh, walking is, is definitely at least getting that oxygen and blood flow moving. And I love that you mentioned the body, Dale, and bringing it to the body because as a coach, uh, that is a lot of the level three listening of listening and helping clients really understand their bodies. Like, where do you feel this? And understanding the mind-body connection, the nervous system, which is, con- is going to be affected by all those chemicals and our our nervous system is what allows us, like what runs us guys. It's like that, you know, you, it's, it's real important. And uh, to people with the ADD or ADHD brain, like we have a different nervous system. What motivates us is different than what motivates the rest of the population. The, um, and that isn't bad. That's just awareness. So as a coach, even when I own the gym, you know, we said 80% diet, 20% fitness, for the brain, uh, the body, I, I do look at that as it's 80% of that awareness. The diet is huge for brain too, but, and 20% of that mental fitness. So your 60 pushups a day, your one hour a day, like that's, that's not the big chunk of it. The majority of it is awareness and you guys are both coaches as well. So before we wrap up today, I'd love to give you guys some time to talk about how you use coaching to help your clients, uh, move forward. Sandy, we'll let you go first. Oh, it, it involves everything we've been talking about. But first of all, uh, listening to where the client is and giving them what I like to help them with is their vocabulary. Because a lot of people have trouble. Uh, they, they'll say, I'm depressed. I'm down. Uh, I have no motivation. And that is so generic. And so I help people get the vocabulary to be more precise and find out then it, it just wakes up the insights. Mm, I uh, love that you just said wakes up the insights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because our, your client's creative and resourceful. It's just taking a nap. <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, it's, it's like socially acceptable or maybe our natural inclination to just lump everything under a huge umbrella of depression or sadness. Yeah. But there's so many other more colorful words. And when you can find the appropriate words, then you start connecting. What's the source? 
what's contributing factors. Uh, and then the ripple effect goes out and you, you get the insights coming in and the problem solving ability. Yeah, I like to call it solution seeking because mm -hmm. uh, I think we're constantly trying to solve problems. People are not problems. Um, there are um, things that need solutions and I like the idea of seeking them versus trying to crack some nut um, or something that's wrong with people. Yeah, and the big umbrella can sometimes feel like you're not motivated, but once you can get that going with the insights, motivation just starts to even increase. Absolutely, absolutely. And so Sandy is specializing in helping people um, find their joy um, to brighten their doll and specializing in coaching people, women with, with bipolar disorder, correct? Correct, and generally anxiety and, uh, well, bipolar, but also, like you said, all the people who uh, have challenges to their mental health. Mental health challenges. Can, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're doing great work, uh, Sandy, and I have a, a one client that I have worked on, particularly in some of that area. And uh, as a coach, I know that I can help those clients, but they're, um, it's hard to be in that space we talk about with neuroscience where your brain is constantly staying in that loop with them. So I, you really have to be called to help people. And I just want to acknowledge and thank you for um, spending that time with, with women and helping them find joy and, sh and shining their doll. Right. And peace of mind. And peace of mind. And Dale, you are so dedicated to helping families of schizophrenics, which is so noble. Um, tell us a little bit about the work you do with families. Well, uh, my, my, my realization that, that got me into family, family coaching was that families are often the forgotten victims of any mental illness or psychic affect. It's, it's like, you know, the, the, the diagnosis has his doctor and his therapist and a social worker helping them, but sometimes the families are, are like really the ones that are really lost and, and lost and like trying to deal with the illness because they have no place to turn. They, they have no source of information. They just see the behavior of their loved ones and they're like befuddled or angered or, you know, and so therefore my, my, my philosophy is that if I can like well, two things. If I can create a space of non-judgmental listening and just like give them a chance to like express the emotions that they're going through and the frustrations and the anxieties, then that helps them. And secondly, I one thing I found is that when, when, when I'm having discovery calls or something, people are so focused on they're concerned for their loved ones that they don't think about themselves. I mean, it can be a very codependent situation where, you know, the, the family member is like so devoted. I, I mean, just recently I, I had a call with uh, someone who, a lady who, you know, she was talking about her daughter for about 15 minutes 
and you know, and, and the struggle she's had with her daughter. And then she says, and I have six other children. And it's like, I realized that I had to do something to like break out of that focus on the daughter to like be able to be a good mother to the other six children she had. So uh, my, 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 my goal is to help people realize and understand the illness and their own feelings and give them self-awareness so that they can in turn be better caregivers for their loved ones who were diagnosed. Thank you so much, you guys, for joining us today. It, you really are um, called to do what you do and you love people and hold them as creative and resourceful. And it's so inspiring to, to see that, particularly in an area of mental health where sometimes it's hard. So thank you for doing that work. Um, I will also will include in the comments here where people can find you if they're interested in learning more. Um, and also just for people to know that recovery is always an option is what Dale says. And I love that uh, when you hear these um, diagnoses, if you're one of those person receiving it or you're a family member that's hearing it, um, the person there is creative and resourceful and uh, there is an option for them. So, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having us, having us uh, Katie. It's been, it's been a very interesting and productive uh, interview, I think, so. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Yes, I hope to continue to have more conversations on mental health and everything else on the Bring Your Own Brain conversation where all pronouns are welcome. Uh, so we save these solo episodes for women. Guys, you've had your front, your page on the cover of enough things. But for Bring Your Own Brain, all are welcome. If you're interested in learning how you can have your own Bring Your Own Brain conversation, you can email me, katie at owlprofessionalcoaching.com. That's O-W-L. Give a hoot. Um, and you can check out the comments for links to Sandy and Dale. Um, Dale, where can people find you? I actually don't know what your website is. Uh, well, my website is www.dew, which is my initials, uh, livelove.net. And live love is my method of uh, approach. I, I won't go into it, but it's basically a Every letter stands for an, another concept to explore. So it's dwlivelove.net. Got it. And Sandy, you want to go ahead and tell people where they can follow you or find right. you? My website is peacefulmindsetcoaching.com. Excellent. And if you want to find me or on my Facebook watching this or something, so, you know, figure it out and write me a review. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us today. Bye, everyone. Bye.